Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Now let's turn our attention to God's Word. Uh, as I mentioned briefly at the, at the beginning, we are starting a new series. Uh, for those of you who have been here at Resurrection uh, will know that we spent the past year, the whole year, going through the book of Genesis. Uh, and we finished the book of Genesis. And uh, so now we are starting into 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is a letter uh, that was written by the Apostle Peter, one of uh, Jesus' apostles, one of his disciples, one of his apostles, uh, really one of the key leaders of the early church. Peter was really a leader amongst the 12 apostles uh, and really drove the church forward by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, preached the gospel to lots and lots of people, led the church through some difficult things. And now when he writes, the letter of 1 Peter, we don't know exactly when it is, but probably uh, somewhere around 60 AD would be most likely. Uh, the Christian church is becoming somewhat established. It's been about 25, 30 years since Jesus died. Uh, there's Christians in a lot of different places. And so the apostles, Peter and Paul, um, and others wrote letters to these groups of Christians in different places. And so we'll be looking at this letter of 1 Peter, and it's really an interesting contrast to Genesis uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, what you will probably notice most on Sunday mornings is that the readings from the Bible are much shorter. Uh, so instead of reading 40 to 50 verses at a time, uh, today I'm going to read two verses from the Bible, just two. Uh, and then we'll, we'll continue through the letter. But the other difference is that Genesis is stories. Genesis tells stories of the beginning, stories about who we are. Who are we as God's people? Where did we come from? Who is this God in story form? And that's really important to know who we are and where we came from. First Peter, on the other hand, is it's a letter of instruction to the church. It is, it is not just not telling stories, it is explaining truth. It is explaining doctrine. But in the same, it is telling us what to do. But in the same way, it is still telling us who we are. It is telling us who we are as a church now. Genesis told us where we came from. First Peter is telling us our identity. And our identity is critically important if we are going to live the life that we all want, that God calls us to. If we're going to obey the commands that he gives us through Peter, we have to know who we are. And so this letter of First Peter is addressed to us 2,000 years ago, but still to us. Uh, to us as the church, and we'll see that more as we dig into it. So I'm just reading two verses, um, just the first two verses, because it's so easy in a letter like this to just glaze on by, to hear these things as nice words. You're actually going to hear a lot of words that we use a lot. You can see them on the screen. You can see they're, they're Christian words. They're words that we just, that pass through our heads without really thinking about it. So this morning, we're going to stop and slow down and think about these words. What do these words actually mean? What is God telling us about who we are in these words? So now let me read from God's word, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter uh, that your servant Peter wrote down so long ago, sent to those churches uh, that he named, but was preserved for us, that this is your letter for us today, right now. And so we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, these words would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our hearts, changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So about a week and a half ago, uh, you know, as many of you know, my son Nathan is a volleyball player, and he is a senior at Ocean Lakes High School. And so they had their senior night uh, for volleyball, as they do for all the sports, uh, towards the end of the season. And it's a night when the seniors on whatever team are honored. And so each team does different things. So for the volleyball team, uh, there were big pictures up of the seniors. There were posters. Uh, you, really, uh, you can probably convince Suzanne to show you a picture of the collage she made. Um, it's on Facebook, yes. You can, you can look on Facebook, honoring the seniors for what they have done and for who they are. And so the, these posters are up, and then the seniors get announced, and they walk across the court, and with their parents, we got to go out with them. And so we're standing at the edge of the court, and we're, we're standing kind of by the door, and we're, walk, we're getting ready to walk out into the court, and they're announcing about these seniors. And for each one, they're saying something about the seniors. They're saying you know, something about what they've liked about the team, what their advice uh, to the underclassmen are, what they want to do. Nathan wants to do biomedical engineering, so a number of his teammates, and it's strange, but it is what it is. Um, they're, they're really giving the identity of the seniors. What do, and they even, you know, what do you want us to say about you? How do you want to be defined? How do you want to be honored? How do you want to be described? Our identity is important to us. But the thing that was fascinating about this senior night is that I can't actually tell you about any of the seniors other than Nathan, because I couldn't hear a word that the announcer was saying. Because where we were in the gym, it was impossible to understand the announcer. And it was all garbled. We caught a few words here and there, but we could not hear, hopefully the people in the stands heard, but, but not necessarily. Um, the acoustics aren't good. It was all garbled. So we could not hear what was being said about the identity of the seniors. And that is really where we find ourselves in this world so much of the time. There's an identity that we want to have. Sometimes it's an identity we've created for ourselves. Sometimes it's a good and godly identity. We want to be God's people. We want to be the people that he calls us to be. We want to live right. We want to do right. We want to reflect his glory, reflect the image of God that he put in each of us as we saw in Genesis. And yet, in this world, it gets so garbled, and our identity gets so messed up. And so we're left, instead of embracing the identity that God has given us as his people, instead of embracing the image of God and reflecting it in all the work that we do, in all the ways that we treat people, we go and seek to make a name for ourselves in our own way. And sometimes we might find that identity in our work, and we are defined only by our job until we lose our job, or until we fail at our job, or until we get too old for our job, and then who are we anymore? Or maybe we find our identity in our athletic skill, as many of these volleyball players do, until they run into better competition, until their bodies break down and they can't do it anymore. Maybe we find our identity in our families, Works a little better than some of those other times, a lot of other things a lot of times, lasts longer, but doesn't always work out the way that we want. The relationships don't always go the way that we want them to. 
And all these things we try to grab to for identity are broken and messed up because of sin, as we saw so clearly throughout Genesis. And so what Peter is doing in his letter here is he's telling us in clear words, with the voice of God himself that we cannot miss, what our identity is. And look at how he addresses us. To those who are elect exiles. Now that's kind of funny because exiles is not really a good thing, right? Most people are not looking to be an exile, sent away from their land. Why were they sent away? Sometimes they're victims of persecution. Sometimes they've been attacked. Sometimes uh, they are exiles from their land because of their own sin, as the people of God had discovered in the, in the Old Testament. Now, elect is a good thing, right? We want to be chosen by somebody. So to be elect exiles gives us a very true picture of where we are. We are in a hurting and broken place. And the good news of that, as Alejandro was just praying, uh, as we pray for Israel and the lands around it, the hope of the future, the good news of us being elect exiles is that this world is not the end. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. And so when we find ourselves with garbled identity, when we find ourselves unsure of who we are, we find all these competing pressures of trying to be something else. So this is not where we are supposed to be. We are elect exiles. We are made for a better world. We are made for a better life. We are made for a world that God is renewing day by day to make into his perfect world. But that's not all. Elect exiles, because, you know, Peter's a, he's a biblical letter writer. He couldn't, he couldn't stop with something short. So he names a bunch of places where the churches were, mostly Gentile churches, but by calling them of the dispersion, he's calling together the history. Most of these were probably Gentiles, but the dispersion typically referred to Jews who had been sent out from their land. So he really is bringing Jews and Gentiles together here, connecting most, his mostly Gentile readers to the story of God. Just as God's people had been dispersed in the Old Testament, the Gentiles have been brought into that. They're now one people. We don't stop there, though. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. So who are we? We are elect exiles according to the nature of God. The nature of God. We talk about this idea of the Trinity that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And often when we think about it, we think about it as this kind of mathematical anomaly, that we have one God in three persons, and that's true, it is a mathematical anomaly. And I don't claim to fully understand it, nor will I try to explain it fully because that would be hopeless. Um, but what's fascinating here is that it is not just a theological concept and anomaly. What's fascinating is that the Trinity is the very nature of God that Peter names in identifying us as who we are. Who are we? What is our core identity? God, our core identity is as God's Trinitarian people. We are named by a Trinitarian God. In fact, if you'll give me just a brief, a brief, a brief a step aside into theology, it turns out that the Trinity, the, Trinity, the nature of God, as one God in three persons, has been throughout the centuries one of the fundamental markers of what it means to be Christian. There are many things that Christians disagree about, 
and we can disagree about this and disagree about that and say we're all Christians. We're all brothers and sisters. But when it comes to the nature of God, that God is one God in three persons, we don't disagree about that. We say, if you're a Christian, this is who God is. This is the God that we worship because it is so fundamental. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us to be identified by the Trinitarian nature of God? Well, thankfully, Peter here, even if he doesn't explain the mystery of the mathematical anomaly, he gives us some insight into what this actually means. And as we look into this, we can briefly see three things about the nature of God as a trinity, as three in one, that impact us as God's people. So three, if God, if God identifies his people by his trinitarian nature, three ways that plays out specifically, three ways it makes a difference for us, is that it shows us that we are marked by a God who is personal, a God who is relational, and a God who is powerful. God who is personal, relational, and powerful. You probably thought we were going with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit there, but we're going with, with three things that reflect the Trinitarian nature of God as a whole. First, that it is personal. Just, just think about this. To those who are elect, well, how do you get to be elect? Somebody has to choose you. It is a personal choice to make you an elect exile. Who is the God who has elected people, who has chosen people? God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. It is three persons. So the mo one of the, the critical things when we start thinking about these questions of what is, the, what is the Trinity, what is three in one? It's three persons. That's what makes a difference to us. It doesn't matter how it can be three in one. That's, that's God's problem. He can figure that out. But we can know that God is a personal God. And that is so much more significant than a force God. Or a rule God. Or a documents dropped from heaven God. Or a figure it out on your own God. Our God who names us is a personal God. A God who knows us. A God who loves us. And so what does that mean that our obedience comes to? Our obedience is not to a set of rules. Our obedience is to Jesus Christ. Our obedience is to a personal God that's not even just a theoretical person, a mystical person, but a real human flesh and blood person. That one member of this Trinity, one member of this God three in one came down to earth and put on flesh. By the way, that's another thing that we don't disagree about as Christians, that all Christians say that Jesus came to earth and put on flesh. And so we don't simply obey the rules for the sake of rules or the rules to check the boxes or to earn something, but we obey the person, the king. The king who knows us, who follows us, who, who knows us, who understands us. The person who's not simply an impersonal list of requirements, but knows our weaknesses, who understands. Somebody said to me the other day, I couldn't bring myself to forgive, but I think Jesus understands. And they were absolutely right. That was just one night. They, they would get to forgiveness. And Jesus understands. 
He doesn't, it's not, it's not just a, not just a moving set of rules that says, well, you didn't forgive right away, you're, you lose. It's a person who says, I know that's really, really hard. I know what you're going through is really hard. So what does it mean to be a Christian? If you're here this morning and you're thinking, I'm understanding, I'm seeing this stuff, I've known this stuff. Maybe you're just hearing it recently. Maybe you've known this stuff for a long time. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to follow a personal God, a God who knows you and loves you. Say, I don't have to understand everything. I certainly don't understand this trendy thing. I don't always do the right thing. But Jesus, help me. I want to follow you. Show me where I'm supposed to go. I'm just going to follow you. I can't figure it all out. So I'm just going to follow you. Tell me what to do today. That's what it means we say, put your faith in Jesus. It's to put your faith in a person. Say, Jesus, I need you. Personal. But not just personal, but relational. Because if you've got God in three persons, even if we can't understand the mystery of that, what we do know is that there's relationships involved. That what we have between these three persons of the one God is the most beautiful, close form of relationship that could ever be imagined. You know one thing I love here? We talk about the Trinity. What do we talk about? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? See what order they came in here? Father, Spirit, Son. Son, Spirit, Father. The relational persons of the Trinity don't care because they are not seeking their own gain. They are each pointing to the other. It's like that that Spider-Man meme where all the Spider-Mans are pointing to each other like this, except in that case, they're blaming each other. In the case of the Trinity, they're not. The persons of God, the relationship of God within himself is one where each lifts up the other. Each loves the other in perfect love and beauty and harmony that we cannot ever understand. That the father says, look at my son. Look. And the son says, I just do what the father tells me to do. And the father says, the son rules over the whole world. The spirit points us to the father and the son. The son says, the spirit is going to come. I will send you another helper like me to be with you. And he will be me. He will be me for you. So can we say that Jesus is among us now? Yes, we can. Why is Jesus among us now? Because the Spirit is here. And if the Spirit is here, is that the same as Jesus being here? Yes, it is. Because the Spirit brings Jesus to us. So the the God in in and of himself is so relational that it, it shows us who we are to be. Remember, this is forming our identity. Our identity as a people. It's a people who are relational, who are bound together in relationships with one another. What human relationship models after the Trinity? Hard to say, because we don't really have a lot of three-way relationships. We try to say, you know, we see parent-child relationships, we see husband-wife relationships, we see friend-friend relationships, and we try to make these, and, but anytime you try to draw a straight analogy from those to the Trinity, it doesn't actually work that well. Because the Trinity, the relationship of God within himself, goes so far beyond all human relationships that we cannot copy it. And yet at the same time, that kind of relationship is the model for all human relationships. So how are we to relate to one another? In the same way 
that the Father relates to the Son, and the Spirit to the Father, and the, fa and the Son to the Spirit. The relationships in which we seek to build up the other person. We seek to give honor and glory to the other person. We love them so much that we mourn when they mourn. We celebrate when they celebrate. We rejoice when they rejoice. We give glory to others whenever we can. We forgive and forbear. Now, the, the, the God doesn't have to forgive and forbear because he does nothing wrong. But we forgive and forbear in our imp imperfect relationships with one another. And I'm not just saying this. Jesus said this. Jesus said this in John 17 when he was on his last night with his disciples and he was praying for them. He said, Father, I pray that they may be one just as you and I are one. So this comes from Jesus himself to say that this relationship of love and mutual honor and mutual work and sharing together with one another is the way that we are to relate to one another. That sounds great, doesn't it? you love to be full of your life, full of relationships like that. And yet it is not the reality, is it? Instead, the reality is the garbled microphone where we cannot hear how we are to relate to another. But the good news is there's more because here is not just persons and not just relationships, but here is power that God marks us by his powerful self. Look at the power that we see. Elect exiles, chosen. God's done it. He's chosen us. How? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That from the beginning of time, God has known all things. Not just what would happen, but known all people. How does he elect particular people? Only if he knows them as people. Not knowledge as head knowledge, but people knowledge. Person to person. The foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. There's another big word that we throw off from time to time. What does sanctification mean? It means being set apart to be holy. Set apart both when God marks us as his own, we are set apart as his people to be holy. And then we become more and more holy throughout our lives. Why? Because of the sanctification of the Spirit. The Spirit is powerfully working. How can we actually become better people? How can we actually live out this reality that God calls us to? By the sanctification of the Spirit. How do we get that? Ask for it. Ask for it. Do you have the Spirit in you? If you've put the, your faith in Jesus, yes, you have the Spirit in you. You've been baptized into him, yes, you have the Spirit in you. Do you not feel the Spirit in you? Do you not feel that your life is changing? Ask him. Say, Spirit, I know you're here. Make a difference in my life. Make me to be a different person. Why? Because I want to obey my King. I want to obey Jesus and I can't do it. Why not? Because I've sinned. Because I'm caught by my own sin and the shame and the guilt that that brings. What do I need? Sprinkling with his blood. Power because our sins have actually been dealt with in a real and actual way. That when Jesus came as a person, he came, yes, to show God to us. Yes, to demonstrate the life of God on earth. Yes, to demonstrate perfect humanity and what it is to look like. But he also came to shed his blood. That our sins could actually be forgiven. 
Because peace. What do we want? Grace and peace. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Grace and peace. Isn't that what we're praying for in the world? Peace in the world. But it's hard to get. I was actually reading a, a, a column about the situation in the Middle East and about the challenge of seeking full, a true justice. And they made this, this comment, how can there be true justice? How could there be true justice? Uh, looking back at the history of the people of Israel, how can there be true justice for the Holocaust? There can't. Nothing can ever take it back. How can there be true justice for the people who have died in the past week? There can't. There can't be true justice in human terms. Nothing can put those things back. But the blood of Jesus can. Because the blood of Jesus actually and fully atones for sin. It actually takes away the penalty of sin. It actually makes that forgiveness possible that my friend just didn't feel that she had in her. Because it's not in us in human terms, but by the blood of Jesus that he shed for us on the cross and then is sprinkled upon each of us who put our faith and trust in him. That blood of Jesus actually takes away our sin. It takes away the penalty of our sin. It takes away the guilt of our sin. It takes away the shame of our sin. And that means we can actually walk as forgiven people, knowing that our sins have been forgiven, and then we can forgive others because their sins have also been covered by the blood of Jesus. And we can lift all of the horrors and the injustice of the world, whether the big things, the big wars, the big killings out there, or whether the things in our own lives, the hurts that we have suffered from others, the big hurts and the small hurts, we put those all at the feet of Jesus. And we say, Jesus, your blood covers. You judge justly. We can't figure this out anymore then we can figure out what it means that you are three in one. But if you can be three in one and personal and relational and powerful and mark us as your people, you can figure out these things so that grace and peace may actually be multiplied in this world. The gifts of God, the life of God, the peace of his people expanded throughout the world that we look to the day when we are no longer elect exiles but elect citizens at home in our final home with Jesus on this perfectly renewed earth forever and ever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all your many gifts to us. Thank you for who you are, that you are God three in one. And we pray that you would show us more and more what that means, what that means for us in our lives day in and day out. Would you multiply grace and peace to us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.